everybody, and welcome to episode 27 of Words, Images, and Worlds. My name is Jason Dehart, same as it was last episode, and I'm joined today by Raymond Benson. May I call you Raymond? Or Yes. Okay, great, great, thanks. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Raymond. I was introduced to your work in the 90s through uh, a novel called Zero Minus Ten. Zero Minus Ten. There was also High Time to Kill, featuring a little-known character. I don't. It's kind of an obscure main character, some, some guy named James Bond that I think you worked on. Yeah, maybe people have, are more familiar with his uh, his number, 007. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so very exciting series there, and we'll talk about sort of the, the opportunities that you've had to play in other creator sandboxes as well as your own because i also enjoy the the works that are your original characters and your original creations well, before you. we get to those yeah absolutely um i always like to ask because i'm a teacher what are the things that connected you as a reader as a writer uh, what were the things that inspired you to do this with your life interestingly i never thought i'd be a writer uh i was a theater major in college um, I was a musician and uh, very much embroiled in theater. I wanted to be a director. In fact, uh, where I went to school at the University of Texas at Austin, in their theater department at the time, you could uh, choose which discipline in theater you wanted your degree in. For example, you could you could uh, graduate. You know, you could get a degree in acting or uh, playwriting or set design or directing, which is what I did. So I wanted to be a director, a stage director, but I was also a musician. I would, I, I had started very early during my college years collaborating with playwrights by uh, composing music to their lyrics. And uh, I created several musicals with playwrights, um, as well as my own original music, instrumental music. Uh, and I went to New York after college and I did work in theater off Broadway, off, off, Broadway, off, 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 way off Broadway, <laughs> uh, doing, you know, directing and composing music and did, doing that for a while. Uh, so when I started writing, it was kind of, I just kind of fell into it. Um, uh -huh. The first book I wrote, you may be familiar with, it was the James Bond Bedside Companion from <laughs> 1980, 1984 was when it was published. That was kind of done as a labor of love. It was something that I was kind of dared to do by some friends because they knew I was a James Bond fan. And uh, I, I guess I had been complaining that there wasn't a book that encompassed all of the Bond aspects, you know, a, a biography of Ian Fleming, uh, a history of the phenomenon, as well as analyses and critiques of all the books and all the films, all in one book. You know, we'd had, you know, a couple of books on the films. We'd had a couple of biographies. We'd have, you know, a couple of books on the novels, but nothing altogether. And so I wanted to create that because I wanted that book. <laughs> so I had to make it myself. <laughs> and uh, it took me three years to write it. And uh, I went to, you know, England and met members of Ian Fleming's family and his colleagues and, you know, really did a deep dive on the on the research and and the Fleming people really liked it when it came out. But, you know, then I, I didn't think I was going to continue writing books per se. Well, I thought maybe I could maybe start writing novels, but almost immediately I got tapped 
to see if I wanted to write um, storylines for computer games. Oh, okay. So this was in the middle eighties, in the mid eighties, when compute when PCs were just coming into the homes, you know, the Apple II C, the Commodore, you know, that that you know, really primitive stuff today. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh and the the games were all text, you know, like kind of like the Infocon games, you know, uh Zork. You ever heard of Zork? And yeah, yeah. They they were very popular in the mid eighties, late eighties. Uh, and they had no graphics. It was just a storytelling game that you played that had a lot of puzzles in it. So I started writing those, uh, a couple of them were James Bond licenses. Um, and then that just sort of developed into a career in writing and designing computer games for about 10 years. And it took me kind of all over the country. I worked for about four different uh, game companies until the mid-90s. And then out of the blue, I got a call from the Ian Fleming people, uh, basically the, the man who was Ian Fleming's literary agent who ran Ian Fleming Publications. He just called me out of the blue and said, you know, John Gardner is not going to write the Bond novels anymore. How would you like to give it a shot? <laughs> so right. that, wasn't, that wasn't even on my radar, you know? Um, and... So, you know, there was a little audition process, and I, but I, I did get the, the job. So my first published novel was a James Bond novel that was published worldwide in many different languages and under a microscope by all these fans and critics and everybody. Mm -hmm. So it was a very unique entry into the world of writing and publishing. So, you know, as soon as that book was... I kept my computer game job while I was writing the book, just in case. Uh, <laughs> and the book came out and it was, you know, it, it worked. And they gave me a contract to write more books. So I quit the computer game job and never looked back. And I've been a freelance novelist ever since. So that's how that happened. <laughs> nice. Evidently, uh, the Ian Fleming people liked the Bedside Companion. Evidently. They did. They did. Okay. That was That was a lot of it. Uh, they knew I knew the universe inside and out. And uh, I had shown that I could write. Uh, I had actually written a novel, the, I, the the proverbial first novel that you hide in a desk. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I had written that and I had allowed uh, the the man from Ian Fleming Public. His name was Peter Jansen Smith. I, 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 allowed, I asked him to read it. I said, what do you think? And he didn't think it was bad, but he thought, you know, there were these problems and blah, blah, blah. He said, it's a good first try, but, you know, it's probably not worth publishing. So but so he knew I could write a novel and complete it, mm -hmm. which is, you know, a, a big part of writing a novel is being able to write the whole thing and finish it. Because I know so many people that say they start writing a novel and then they lose interest in or or whatever and they never finish it. You know, if you can finish the project, then that shows that you can actually write one. Um and then, you know, I'd been writing all these plots, fiction plots for computer games, and that entailed, you know, characters and dialogue and complicated, you know, plots and uh, red herrings and obstacles and puzzles and all this stuff. So he knew that I had it in me, that I could do it. And the fact that I knew James Bond so well, uh, he thought maybe I should, he should give me a try, you know, and it worked. 
Uh, and you also worked on, you did Metal Gear Solid books, I believe. Yeah, that was a little later. Uh, that was mm -hmm. after Bond. Uh, you know, doing Bond put me on the short list of editors who did work on what we call tie-in books. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so uh, I did work for Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell for the first two books that, in that series as uh, David Michaels. They, they wanted an in-house uh, uh, pseudonym so that all the Splinter Cell authors would be David Michaels. And there, I think I think there were three or four David Michaels. And I was the first one. <laughs> did not realize uh, that. Yeah, that's right. Um and then came Metal Gear Solid. I did two books for that. I, I worked on Hitman, a, a book for Hitman, the, that game. Mm -hmm. um, Dying Light. Um, there was a, ga a, a game called Homefront that I did a book for. So, yeah, uh, the, the tie-in work is always really good for bread and butter work. Uh, they, they pay pretty well and... Um, I was able to do it, you know, and I also did, you know, the novelizations of the Bond movies while I was doing the Bond novels. So I had my original Bond novels as well as the movie novelizations, and those are considered tie-ins as well. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's what I did. And then after Bond, I started really writing my own original stuff, um, and I've been doing that for now 22 years. Yeah, you have uh, Black Stiletto, the Black Stiletto series, which I think is five books. They're all a dollar ninety nine today on Kindle. Uh, I knew that. Yeah, they yeah. Uh, they've been doing a lot of good. Uh, that publisher, Ocean View, does a lot of great promotion for it. Um, there's also an ebook with all five books contained in one ebook, and that goes on sale on Kindle a lot. Um, has done very well. The, I, I consider the Black Stiletto serial i call it a serial not a series uh the black stiletto is my magnum opus that's my i think the best thing i've ever written and um i love it <laughs> yeah very very enjoyable and you could see the pulp influences which i always love um those kind of things and mm -hmm. the vigilante idea i was a superhero kid growing up um I'm still a superhero kid now that I'm sort of grown up. So all of those things sort of weave in and mm -hmm. uh, it really travels across those books really well. The, the intrigue and the way that you, Thank you. work in the developments. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you know, that brings me back to the first question you asked me about inspirations. Uh, mm -hmm. I've always read a lot. I've always been a big reader and, you know, first I would probably say Ian Fleming is obviously a, a major influence because I've been reading him since I was nine years old uh, in the early 60s. <laughs> and, so, and I've read those books over and over. Um, and uh, another influence, uh, I really like uh, the uh, sort of hard-boiled pulp stuff like uh, James M. Cain and Raymond Chandler and, uh, and especially Jim Thompson who uh, was writing mostly in the 50s. Um, the guy who wrote Killer Inside Me and things like that. Uh, he was a big influence. Uh, there was a British writer named Ruth Rindle, who was is, was probably, you know, while she was alive, I would say she was my favorite living author. Uh, she just passed away about five years ago, six years ago. Um, but everything she put out, I devoured. And um, especially her creepy psychological suspense novels which i had a had a big influence on me but also film 
has had a big big influence on me. I'm a big I'm a film historian and I I taught film history at a college on the college level for many years. Um so I'm, you know, influenced by certain filmmakers and directors and um so there you go. I did my dissertation. It was about film. The I went to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and the guy that I was working with did comics. I'm a literacy person, so I'm also a film lover as well. And the cinematic quality uh, definitely comes through. So very appropriate that you get to tie in uh, video gaming and film as part of your kind of movement into writing fiction, it sounds mm -hmm. like. Yeah, that's what it was. And theater. I'm still, you know, I'm still using everything I learned as a, a theater director in my writing because my theater professor at uh, University of Texas at Austin, he was one of the most renowned professors on directing at the time. And his textbook was the most widely used directing textbook in universities at the time. And, he, you know, he really taught us how to analyze a script well, the play that you're going to direct, we had to really tear it apart and write almost like, you know, a big thesis just on the play itself and analyze all the characters and all the, the plot and the subtext and the meaning and all this stuff. I and mean, you had to really uh, study the beats of a play, you know, the rhythm, the rhythm of a play and all that stuff I use in my writing because I think uh, a novel has to have rhythm. It has to have a tempo. Um, and I took a cue from Ian Fleming in that he always wrote his first draft in one go. He never, mm -hmm. in, a, in other words, he didn't stop to revise anything he'd written like the day before or anything like that. Um, he would just keep going, writing a first draft. He'd write one chapter, then go on to the next and the next and the next and the next and just pile up the pages until the first draft was done. And that establishes a pace. It establishes the movement of the book. You know, once that first draft is done, then you can go back to the beginning and then start revising, adding, deleting, doing what you need to. Um, and I've always done it that way and it works. So. Otherwise you get stuck in the perfectionism, I suppose. A lot of people do. I know. Yeah several people that say, oh, I'm still revising chapter two, you know, and they've been revising it for two months. And I'm going, oh, you'll never finish. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like that. So, um, and I'm, I'm also a big a believer in an outline. I know there are, there are they, they, I know there are plotters and pantsers, you know, writers who write by the seat of their pants and I writers who uh, and that's fine. I know lots of pantsers and they're all very successful. Stephen King, for example, is a pantser. Uh, Lee Child is a pantser and they're great. You know, I don't know how they do it. I just couldn't do it that way because, you know, I was taught in theater to be prepared, do a preparation first before you, you know, have that first rehearsal. And that's what that analysis of the play script was. It's doing a preparation. And I look at uh, writing a novel it's like, you know, building a building. You have to have the blueprints. You have to know what you're going to build. You can't just start building it and hope it turns out good. <laughs> you know, uh, so I look, my outline is a prose treatment broken out by block paragraphs. And each paragraph represents a chapter. And I basically say what happens in that chapter plot wise, what's going to move the story forward. 
And I spend a month or two just on the, the what I call the outline. And that's where I work out all the red herrings and the twists and the turns and the that's the most hair pulling and you know anxiety producing part of the writing process for me is because that's where I really write the book is in that 20 page outline. And once I have that, then writing the book is is just, you know, a tedious day by day follow the outline and, you know, use your imagination, but, you know, get so much done a day until it's done. Um, doesn't mean I'm married to the outline. I can certainly, you know, if I get some inspiration in the middle of the book to change something I would, I do, you know, there was one example, one of my novels, I, I decided halfway through to kill off a character. I went, Ooh, what would happen if this guy died? And then I thought about it. And I went, Oh, that's even better. So I, killed him and then i had to you know change the second half of the outline to reflect that but it worked better you know so there you go that's just you know that's the way i do it everybody's different every writer's different everybody every writer has their own method and uh whatever works for them is great i love hearing about the process and the way it comes together yeah and i'm always telling my students i teach ap comp and i uh, really encourage outlining, really encourage outlining. Although I'm sure I have some pantsers too. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so before we wrap up, I want to make sure that I mention, you know, we talked about Raymond Chandler and some of the, the noir kind of aspects of what has inspired you. I want to mention Blues in the Dark for noir oh, yeah. fans. Uh, and also the Mad Mad Murders of Mary Goldway, which has a nice, it's a timely sort of book. Um, so anything that you want to share and tee up with uh, both okay. of those books? Well, the Mad Mad Murders of Mary Goldway is my most recent novel. It came out last fall. Um, I wrote it right at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I was, you know, like everybody, I was home in lockdown and nobody knew what was going on. It was, this was May 2020. So, you know, we were two months into it and everybody was paranoid and freaked out and nobody knew if their vaccines were on the way or what. And this was when you were, you know, going to the grocery store and avoiding people and wearing masks and even gloves. And uh, some people were washing their mail. <laughs> you know, uh -huh, it was really, uh -huh. it was crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, and I just thought, what a great milieu for a mystery, murder mystery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it all takes place on one in one neighborhood in, in a couple of houses and uh, where people are just, you know, acting not rationally. And that's a, that's a lot to do with it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hugely influenced by the Coen brothers and their films. And so <laughs> I, I kind of looked at this book as, well, this is my equivalent of a Coen Brothers movie because it's absurd. It's wacky. It's got characters who are nuts and <laughs> they do really stupid things. And, but it's, it's kind of funny and kind of horrifying at the same time. And there's violence and there's comedy and, um, and a, a little bit of Thornton Wilder's Our Town too. So <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a intriguing read and something something good that's come from the the pandemic. Definitely, uh, I think the Coen Brothers should have directed 2020. I think that that would be <laughs> an interesting yeah. perspective. Right. Um, and, and Blues in the Dark that that came out in 2019, 
Um, that was the third book I did for Skyhorse Publishing. Uh, those three books I did were kind of, they were suspense novels, each one that centered on a, some kind of social issue. Um, there was one, uh, the first one was The Secrets on Chicory Lane. Uh, uh -huh. that, that dealt with mental illness and child abuse. Uh, the second one was In the Hush of the Night. That dealt with human trafficking. And then the third one, Blues in the Dark, deals with racism and sexism. And uh, Blues in the Dark is set in Hollywood uh, in two different time periods. Uh, the first in the 40s and then in the present day. And it, uh, it deals with characters that have um, uh, some ties to both periods of time. And it kind of focuses on, you know, the racism and sexism that Hollywood inflicts, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So that, that, it was just something I was interested in. But at the same time, it's a film noir. You know, it is it is a prose representation of a film noir. Um, and I wrote it that way. So it's got, you know, a lot of darkness and shadows and a crime and double crosses and all the all the the elements that you think and a femme fatale uh yeah. and all the all the elements you think of uh with uh film noir I, I love the link to you know current events critical issues too and i think it was chicory lane i think i read that one through nat galley i connected with you a couple of years back when i was doing like a written blog uh -huh. And you were kind enough to participate, and I thought, well, why not catch up to 2023 and do um, some recorded stuff as well? So, uh, big fan over here. I know that I promised I wouldn't keep you beyond about 20 minutes. I anything as we're wrapping up that you'd like to share with listeners about places where they can find your work? I know that you also share musically, and uh, th there's a whole other interview in here to just think about the connections of composing music and composing right, plots right. Uh, which is a fascinating connection well you know if you go to my website raymondbenson.com there is a link to my youtube channel and i've got you know over a hundred uh uploads of me just playing the piano in my home uh you know amateur recordings but um uh, I my recordings are some of my own compositions as well as classic rock and movie music and all kinds of stuff that I pretty much did during the pandemic. I, I kind of set myself a goal. I'm going to upload 100 videos of me playing the piano and I did it. Uh, so uh, those are fun to explore. You're, you're going to find some very eclectic stuff, you know, from uh, Herb Alpert's version of Casino Royale from 1967 to uh, Jethro Tull's Locomotive Breath to, uh, you know, who knows what else, you know, my own stuff. So there's that. And then uh, my books you can find certainly on Amazon, especially if you're an ebook reader. If you like Kindle, all my books are available as ebooks. Many of them are not in print anymore because time has gone by and they're not actual in print, but um, they're all available as ebooks. Um, my bond collections are uh, my six original bonds are collected in two print anthologies. One is called the Union Trilogy and the other one's called Choice of Weapons. Those are still available. Um, there's links to everything on my website. And I'm also on Facebook. You can find me there. So 
wonderful things. I'll make sure to link the website in the description on the podcast. And thank you so much for spending uh, part of the day with me. And this was also kind of on the fly because we were planning for tomorrow. So I appreciate your willingness to, to jump on and talk with me. You're welcome. It was my pleasure.